0: Well, it is a pleasure to be at uh, this fabulous church in uh, Oak Brook. The reputation of this church extends throughout the region, and so for me to have a chance to be here is a real privilege. So, thank you for the opportunity to uh, open the Word of God with you today. We are going to look at one of the most puzzling aspects to prayer it's an enigma. It's a riddle. It's a part of prayer that we may not fully understand. And that is the teaching of the Bible that seems to portray God as the reluctant provider of our needs. That is, in more than one place in the Gospels, Jesus presents God as this all-powerful being who only gives his children what they're looking for when they refuse to take no for an answer. When they are, as you might say, shamelessly persistent in their prayers. Now the puzzling aspect of this is, why should that be necessary? Why should we have to persist in our prayers? Why would the Word of God present this as we'd have to nag God I mean, if, if, if God is omniscient and He knows our needs, if God is compassionate and He loves us, then why should we have to persist in our prayers? Why doesn't He answer the first time that we pray? Why should we have to shamelessly nag Him? Why? Why? we're going to look into the Word of God today and try and see the answer to that. What we are going to see is that there is no question that God wants us to be doggedly persistent in our prayers. We're going to see that not one, but two different parables that come from the lips of Christ. But the question is why? Why should we have to do this? And What can, what can this possibly accomplish in our lives outside of maybe making us weary. But we're going to see the answer to that. And what we're going to see is the reason for this is not because of something in God. It's because of something in us. That is, we're going to see the reason why God wants us to persist in prayer is not because of who He is in His perfect character, but because of who we are in our imperfect character. And at the end of our time, we'll see what this must mean for us in our own prayer lives. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to have you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at two different parables that come from the lips of Christ this morning. Both which are unique to Luke. We're going to start in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus gives us the story of the nagging widow. And then after a few minutes, we're going to jump to Luke chapter 11, where Jesus gives us the parable of the bothersome neighbor. But we're going to start in Luke 18, and the parable that he gives us in the first eight verses of that chapter. Now, I believe that Jesus was one of the greatest storytellers that ever lived. And so consequently, he always populates his parables with uh, interesting characters. And we're going to see that in both of these parables today. In this first parable, there are two main characters. First, you have this independent, compassionless judge who just dispenses his justice in a passionless manner, much like a, a lifelong government bureaucrat. But then also in this story, you have a nagging widow. Now, we all know what a nag is. A nag is someone who constantly complains and won't let go of something, especially if they think there's a principle involved. And we're going to see that these two characters mix it up in just four verses as Jesus tells the story to illustrate a point. And the point he seeks to make is what Luke tells us right away in the first verse of chapter 18. He says there, now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So Dr. Luke says, here's the point of the parable. Pray at all times, don't lose heart. Pray at all times, don't lose heart. You got it? And then to illustrate that, he goes on to tell the story. He says, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. Now, to understand this story, you need to understand why she had to come to this judge. Back in the ancient Near East, the judges set up their court in the gates of the city. And so if you needed a legal matter settled, if you had a dispute, if you needed someone to judge in a particular case, you would come to the judges at the gates of the city, you would plead your case to them, And they would render their decision. So that's what this widow is doing. She comes to the judge and she says, Give me legal protection. Now, don't immediately assume this widow's old. Girls in that culture got married in their mid-teens and with a relatively short span of life. You know, she could find herself a widow by the time she was 30-something. And there are a few people more vulnerable in that culture than widows. Especially if you didn't have any children to take care of you. Because there was no government pension plan. There was no social security. There was no safety net. And you were just left to fend for yourselves. And that's what this widow was doing. She has this matter, and she goes to the judge and she says, give me legal protection. Now notice that Jesus says this judge does not exactly have a soft spot in his heart. Because it says in verse 2, this judge did not fear God and did not respect man. Therefore, when this widow comes to him, he just ignores her. Maybe he assumes if I ignore her, she'll go away. Maybe he assumes that if I don't listen to her, She'll stop coming. Or maybe he's just being rude. I don't know. But in any case, his plan doesn't work. Because Jesus says in verse 3 that this woman kept coming to him. And the verb indicates that she kept coming, and she kept coming, and she kept coming, and she kept coming. She was relentlessly pressing on him. You know, like a defensive lineman pursuing the quarterback. Like a hockey center pushing the puck on the goalie. She kept pressing on him. And so every day, he would set up his court in the gates of the city. And every day, there she was. And every day... She had the same request. And every day, he refused to listen. Well, finally, Jesus says, when this judge decides he cannot stand to hear the complaint of this woman one more time, he gives in, and he gives her what she's looking for. It says in verse 4, And for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man... Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming, she wear me out. The language there in verse 5 is picturesque. There's two ver- there are two words there that show how this woman's persistence got the best of him. He said, this widow bothers me. Literally, that means she troubles me. She's a pain in the neck. She irritates me. She bothers me. And then secondly, says this woman's going to wear me out. And literally that means to be beaten down. You know, like a a young couple who maybe travels a thousand miles in their subcompact car to go visit grandma over Thanksgiving with, uh, you know, three preschoolers in the back seat. Or maybe like a high school football player who's just gone through a week of two-a-day practices in the heat of the August sun, or like a college student at the end of finals week. I mean, you are worn out. You're exhausted. There's nothing left in the tanks. And this judge did not want to end up like that. So he finally ends up giving the woman what she's looking for. Well, Jesus goes on to explain in verse 6, what this means for us. He says hear what the righteous, unrighteous judge said now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night and will he delay long over them? I tell you he will bring about justice for them speedily however when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth? And what Jesus explains here is that while we are to be compared to this nagging widow, God is to be contrasted to this unrighteous judge. That is, God is not like this judge. I mean, this judge did not care for man. God does. This judge had no compassion. God does. And yet his point here is, if this uncaring, unloving, compassionless judge finally gives in and gives this woman what she's looking for, how much more should our loving, caring, compassionate God give to us what we need when we ask? But his inference is, we need to be like that nagging widow. That we need to be constantly coming to Him in prayer. We can't stop. We can't quit. We can't give up. We must be shamelessly persistent in our prayers. Ian Bounds, who wrote volumes and volumes on the subject of prayer, once said this about persistence. He said, It never grows faint or weary. It is never discouraged. It never yields to cowardice, but is buoyed up and sustained by a hope that knows no despair and a faith which will not let go. Such praying has the patience to wait and the strength to continue. It never prepares itself to quit praying and declines to rise from its knees until an answer is received. Now, in case you're not willing to accept that yet, Let's go to a second parable While Jesus teaches the same thing. That's in Luke chapter 11. So now go back in your Bible to Luke chapter 11 to a second parable we want to look at, which is found in verses 5 through 10. And as you get there, you'll see that uh, just before this parable then Jesus gives some instruction to his disciples on the subject of prayer. They come to him and say, teach us how to pray. And so he gives them what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer, but what probably is more accurately described as the disciples' prayer. But after this instruction on prayer, he then goes into another parable. And just like the first parable, this parable is populated with some very interesting people. You have in this parable a midnight visitor, a bothersome neighbor, and a sleeping family. Let's pick it up in verse 5. Jesus says, Suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now again, to understand this, you have to put yourself back in the culture, and if you do, you realize that this visitor who has come at midnight was unexpected. And you know that because he has no food to present before him. Bread was usually baked first thing in the morning, and it was not unusual then for a family to have exhausted their supply of bread by bedtime. But if you knew you were going to have a guest, if you knew you were going to have a visitor, you would have made provisions for that. This man didn't. Therefore, that shows that this visitor was unexpected now you might say if that's true if this is an unexpected visitor then why why did they receive him why didn't they turn him away why didn't they you know point him down the road to the motel 6 where they always keep the light on why did they receive him and the answer to that is because in those small villages back then there were very few options for public lodging and furthermore, the culture placed a very high value on the practice of hospitality. So therefore, if someone showed up at your door needing a place to stay or food to eat, you were expected to do everything you could to accommodate them. That happens here. And that means this man is now put in a pickle because he has no food. And they didn't have 24-hour grocery stores like we have today. They didn't have microwaves where you could pop something out of the refrigerator and warm it up for them. They didn't even have preservatives in their food to allow it to be kept to another day. The standard practice was you'd gather your food in the morning. You would then cook your food during the day. And then the next day you would start all over that process again. So when this man says he has no bread, that's exactly what he means. He has no bread. Therefore, he's faced with a very difficult decision. Either he can be extraordinarily rude to his guests and not place anything in front of them to eat. Or, or, he could go bother his neighbor, whom he apparently knew had some bread. He decides to go bother his neighbor. He runs across to his neighbor's house. He knocks on door. He says, hey, old buddy, old pal, i gladly pay you Tuesday for three loaves of bread today because I have a family's friend fellowshipping from afar and I have no food to furnish him. Jesus tells us that much like the unrighteous judge in the first story, that this neighbor at first is unwilling to help. It says in verse 7, and from inside he shall answer and say, do not bother me. And the door's already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And again, to understand this, you have to put yourself back in the culture and recognize this man's not trying to be inconsiderate to his neighbor. He's just trying to be considerate to his own family. Because most homes back then, especially among peasants, consisted of just one room. And furthermore, everyone slept on the same mat or pallet. And so... This man knows if he gets up, he's going to wake up all the kids. And you know how that is, parents. You get the kids to bed at night. The last thing you want to do is have them all get up again. You have to hassle through that. This man doesn't want to do that. So consequently, when he hears his neighbor, he says, go away. The door is shut. We're in bed. I'm not getting up. Well, apparently, this man does not take no for an answer. So he asks again. Gets the same response. Asks again, gets the same response. Asks again, gets the same response. This goes back and forth and back and forth for for an eternity, it seems like, when finally the man on the inside throws off the covers, wakes up all the kids, turns on the light, kicks the dog, opens the door and says, What do you want? And notice Jesus says, The reason why this man gets what he's looking for is persistence. Verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. He will not give him what he's looking for because he's his friend, although I'm sure that didn't hurt. He got what he is looking for because of his persistence. And this word persistence carries with it two different ideas in the biblical text. First, it carries with it the idea of boldness. That is, to be persistent in a biblical sense means you have the courage, you have the brass to ask for things that maybe others wouldn't ask for. You have boldness. But then secondly, this word persistence also carries with it the idea of shamelessness. That is, to be persistent in a biblical sense means that you aren't going to let anything stand in your way of asking what you need. And certainly, you know, ignoring the domestic privacy of your neighbor by waking the whole family up in the middle of the night shows that kind of shamelessness. And what Jesus implies to us is that it needs to be true of our prayer life. That there needs to be a shameless persistence, a dogged determination, a godly gall that will not stop. And he goes on to get more specific about this in verses 9 and 10. He says, I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks to receive, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. And because that instruction follows right after this parable, you can see that Jesus is not just talking about any kind of casual request we might make. You know, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. No, he's illustrating the principle from the parable that is ask and keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and never stop seeking and you shall find knocking, keep on knocking, and never stop knocking, and the door will be open to you. In other words, the teaching of this parable is the same as the one we saw before. And that is we are to be shamelessly persistent in our prayers. We can't stop. We can't quit. We can't give up. We must keep on praying and keep on praying and keep on praying. Now the obvious question again Because why? Why should we have to do this? Is there something in our God that requires this? I mean, is our God, you know, a fickle deity that we need to somehow coax and cajole before he gives us what we're looking for? Do we have to somehow pry his fingers off his blessing before he gives it to us? Oh, no, 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 friends. There is nothing in our God that requires us to keep on praying despite a delay. He's omniscient. He knows exactly what we need before we even ask. He's omnipotent. He can do whatever he wishes. He's compassionate. He delights in abundantly meeting the needs of his children. No, there is nothing in our God that requires us to keep on praying despite a long delay. But there can be something in us. We can be the reason why we need to persist in prayer. J. Oswald Sanders, in his excellent book called Prayer Power Unlimited, said this God does not always grant the answer to prayer at once because the petitioner is not yet in a fit state to receive what he asks. There is something God desires to do in him before he answers the prayer. And you might say, well, what could that be? What what kinds of things might there be that would prevent God from immediately answering my prayer? Well, there could be lots of things. Uh, Let me just give you some examples. First, it may be we're not really earnest in our prayers. That is, we're praying about something, but it doesn't really move us. (laughs) If it doesn't move us, why do we think it will move God? But you see, praying about something over a long period of time gives us a chance to prove, God, that we are truly earnest. Or or, or maybe we're praying with the wrong motives. Maybe it's something good for us, it's something God wants for us, but we're praying with selfish motives. Well, sometimes praying over a long period of time is a way of purifying those motives. Maybe we begin with selfish motives, but as we continue to pray about that, that is a way of purifying our motives. Or maybe it's because we haven't counted the cost. We're not willing to pay the price that answering this prayer would require. Well, if that's the case, praying over a long period of time can give us time to count the cost and be willing to pay the price. There could be many more things than just that. Here's my point, though. My point is there's nothing in our God that requires us to keep on praying despite a long delay. But there can be something in us. So, here's what God is saying to you in His Word today Don't give up in your prayers, don't lose heart. And stop praying. Instead, keep on praying and keep on praying and keep on praying. If you've been lifting a burden to God and you haven't seen Him answer that prayer yet, don't stop now. Instead, be like the nagging widow. Don't lose heart any more than that neighbor bothered his neighbor. Instead, keep storming the throne of grace. Keep on your knees knowing our God is a gracious, compassionate God who delights in meeting the needs of His children. And we are going to keep on praying and keep on praying and keep on praying and are shamelessly persistent in our prayers. One of my profs, my favorite profs from seminary, went home to be with the Lord this past year, Dr. Howard Hendricks. And I remember one time in class how he talked about the prayers that his family has made for his father. And Dr. Hendricks' parents were separated before he was even born. And so he grew up in the home of his maternal grandmother and, and barely knew his dad. But once he got married to Jean, they began to pray that his father would come to faith in Christ. And once they had kids, the, the kids joined in on this. And they prayed that their, their father, their grandfather, would, would come to faith. And they prayed for years. They prayed for decades. And his father just kept sinking further and further into alcoholism. And his, his physical state worsened. But they kept praying and praying. And, praying. and finally, after 40 years of praying, one month before his father died, he came to faith in Christ. 40 years! That's shameless persistence in prayer. What is it that you've been bringing before God and you haven't seen him answer yet? What is it? Maybe it's like Dr. Henricks, you've been praying for a loved one to come to faith and that hasn't happened. Or maybe you've been praying for someone to, to get free from an addiction that is holding them captive. Or maybe you're praying for someone else to get a job. Or maybe you're praying for a breakthrough in an unreached people group. Or maybe you're praying for a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter to come back home. And none of that's happened yet. Don't stop now. Don't give up. Be like the nagging widow. Be like the bothersome neighbor. Be shamelessly persistent in your prayers. And if you are in the right way, in the right time, our gracious God will respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, that you are a gracious, compassionate, all-knowing God. You love to meet the needs of your children. And thank you that there are things you want to do in our lives through this time of prayer and help us to remain persistent in our prayers. Being like that nagging widow, being like that bothersome neighbor, refusing to give up until you answer our needs. In Jesus' name, amen.